Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, Modern Nation? It is Thursday, September 1st, 2016. The college football season is now officially underway, and UTEP kicks off in two days. I'm Anthony Salone, live here with the one and only. What's good? You know who it is? It's Alex Nicholas. It's a new freaking season, baby. I am jacked up beyond belief. Over here watching through the wormhole when we got South Carolina and Vandy on ESPN, so putting that game on. Got a lot to talk about today, of course. UTEP football is going to dominate the majority of the, of the conversation, but some basketball mixed in. Got a little bit of news for you today. A bit. We finally got some news that we've been waiting for on two ends, one with that mystery player I kind of threw out there for you guys to kind of search, and then we finally got a basketball roster about a couple hours ago, so we got a lot to cover here, hour and a half show. Y'all know how to get up at us. Uh, hit the, hit the, hit the call in line. We would love to hear, we would love to hear from you on the call in line, three, four, seven, nine, three, four, zero, nine, five, one, or you can hit us on Twitter, hit us on the comment thread that's up there on the rush right now. Let us get, let us hear what you got to think. Cause this year it seems like it could be loaded on the football side. We'll get to that basketball side. That's cliche. I'm just going to be a cliche. I'm like, we say that every single year, like, this is the year, man. This is, and, and it should be, you know, just to, just to talk about it for just a second. The schedule, you know, it sets up fairly nicely. you got some tough games early on. I mean, New Mexico State isn't going to be a pushover this year. You know, that, that's, that's one that you've yeah. got to get through in the opener. But, you know, you start off a little tough, few tough games. But the last half of the schedule sets up really nicely, nicely for this team to, to make a run and maybe even make a run in Conference USA. But we'll see how that all shakes out. But let's get this this podcast started, man. What you got on deck? Let's jump right into it, man. I, I mean, we've it's been a while since we talked. I think maybe the last time we actually broke down what's going on roster wise and and what what we're seeing is probably since the spring. So let's take a look at, at the depth chart right now. And I mean, there's just definitely some a little bit of some surprise, and then there's some areas where things look really well. And let's start with to me what I think is the strongest point. And you look at that offensive line, and that first thing that's going to jump at you is the size. I mean, averaging 6'3", 225, 225, I don't want to short these guys, 325 uh, pounds across the board. I mean, three years ago, four years ago, whatever it was, when Sean Cougar mapped out his plan of action, whether, you know, it could have been anything. But you look at, at what the main thing that he was trying to hit on, and it was beefing up that offensive line. And, and not only do you, exactly, and, and not only do you have size and you have big bodies there, but you have experience. You know, I, uh, UTEP defense, Brian J. Stein, one of our – he's going to be an every week contributor now to minor rush. Shout out to UTEP defense out there, man. Got to get you on the podcast one time this year. But he pointed out that there's 84 combined starts in UTEP's too deep alone. And that's excluding a true freshman, Greg Long, that's a backup tackle. I mean, I think that with Brent Peace's offense, you're going to see, not only are you going to see your regular five-man fronts, but you're going to see unbalanced line. You're going to see seven, eight-man linemen. It's more than likely inside the 10. Probably short, yeah, goal line packages, jumbo stuff. But that's huge. That's huge for a program that wants to build themselves on the line. And I think right there, that's a strength. You know, that is huge to have guys like Will Hernandez, who I think watching him, he's an NFL guy. He's a future NFL lineman. When is the last time have we said that we've had a surefire NFL lineman before he was even a junior? You know, going back to what maybe Trey Darlick or Neil Cousins back in the day, those type of guys. But they were what? Less tackles in a spread offense. So that was there. But you've seen a road grader, the guy that can pull and do different things. And the guy I'm really excited about coming back is Darren Gatewood. 
at center. At times last year, he seemed like he was UTEP's best offensive lineman. So that's a really nice piece to have to move guys at Aaron Jones because we're going to get into that next, looking at the tailback position. Uh, Aaron Jones, obviously, a guy that's we all know what he can do. you know. But the big thing that came out this year was Quadres Wadley. We talked about him last year about being kind of that dark horse guy because of his production in high school and because of the fit. And to see him explode in camp, I think mixed with that offensive line, I think UTEP's feel good about not only having those guys, but you want to be a running football team, you want to be a physical football team, having a big offensive line and some talented runners. It's a pretty damn way to damn good way to start a potential, you know, something that we've that they've been trying to build over the past That's yeah, exactly what Sean Cougar came, came in trying to do from year one. That was pound the football, run the football, you know, center his offense around that offensive line, be able to open up holes for that running back. He got his star running back in Aaron Jones. We've seen him flourish. Last year he had the injuries. You know, everybody's expecting him to come back and be able to pick up where he left off. But, you know, you talk about that offensive line with not only the size and experience, but a guy like Aaron Jones doesn't necessarily need that much help. Right. You know, he, he's a playmaker, and he's, and he's going to be just as good as anybody else on that football field, no matter what game he's playing in. You know, so – when you have those type of guys to run behind, it just makes it that much easier for you. But like you said, the addition, not the addition, but the breakout of Quadras Wadley is going to help a lot because hopefully they will be able to take a bit of the load off of Aaron Jones. We don't want to see him have to carry the ball 25, 30 times a game. It'd be nice to see him do that. In, in a good game, in, in, in a back and forth you know, game. In, a, in, in the flow of a right, game, in exactly. rhythm, he can do that. But you don't want to put everything on him where the defense is just able to tee off on him. And that's what we saw last year. We saw how that all played out. But, I mean, a lot of promising things out of the backfield and the offensive line. I, with Brent Peace back there, we've seen some different things in, in – in, uh, in the offseason, as far as what they're going to do with the offense, you know, we, we I think another kind of cliche statement that we've made over the last few years is like they're going to they're going to open it up now. They're yeah. going to they're going to change it up a bit. They're going to start to to change it up from that vanilla offense. And every time once we get into season, kind of take a step back and go right back to what they want, just that bread and butter running game. But I don't know what to expect under peace. I mean, I've seen what we've seen in the offseason, but once once the real games hit. Is, is, is he going to go back to, to just trying to pound the football or are they going to continue to open it up and, and let, you know, these quarterbacks do what, do what they can do? And from what I've, able, from what I've seen in the spring going into the fall is that vanilla. I've kind of put Cougar on the spot a couple of times about that. And he's basically said our scrimmages and everything has been vanilla as designed. You know, is he hiding his cards? Because we've heard that before. But I think more of opening it up, I think they're going to be creative. I think maybe that's what maybe it is. That's, like, th- yeah. th- that's going to be a better term from this offense because I think it's still going to be based on the run. I mean, you're still probably going to see 40 rushes a game. Yeah. But I think you'll see those 40 rushes mixed in with 26 to, to 30 really good pass plays. Not so much just opening it up, but pass plays that can, that can really get the defense, open up that underneath stuff. Because as, as we move on, you know, we're talking about the, that kind of leads into the next thing. Talk about the wide receiver crew and the tight ends. There's some tight ends in there. You add a guy like Kent Taylor, where we saw the skills that Hayden Plink can bring with a guy like, uh, uh, with a guy like Jaquan White, who really kind of stepped up towards the end of the year and was a consistent player. Terry Junell is coming back. Tyler Batson, another big time threat. Cole Freytag. And my guy, because I'm Andrews Bias, I ain't going to fucking lie, but Eddie Senegal, bro, Eddie Senegal, I'm going to put this out there, and I've wrote this on Minor Rush, but I'm going to put this out there because I've been wanting to, I want to see your eyes when I say this. Eddie Senegal reminds me the way that he moves, maybe not, like I said, maybe not the way he plays yet, but the way he just moves and how fluid of a runner he is, he reminds me 
of Johnny Lee Higgins, bro. And that's lofty He's expectations. Got that He's got that type of build. And you look at what he did in high school, racking up over 2,500 yards. I mean, that's an explosive playmaker right there. So I, I'm not going to say anything. I want to see him out there on the field. I, I, won't, I won't disagree with you until I see it. But if it doesn't pan out, I'm going to call you a homer. Right? Hey, call me a homer. I, just, I really like this group of wide receivers. And that's why I think we're going to see – more creativity because you have these type of guys. I watched Jerry Junell just execute these little seven-yard out routes where he has the option of either shaking somebody and picking up that first down or running out of bounds. And pick. That's what UTEP has needed. And, and Oh, we forgot about Warren Reddick, too. Warren Reddick, who was big last year. He was pretty much one of the main playmakers last year once Aaron Jones went down and UTEP started figuring themselves out. So, I mean, I think that creativity mixed with these weapons that – at this time, you can really call him unproven, you know, as far as, you know, being able to, to, to put production out there and put wins Especially on the field. Especially a guy like Terry Junell. Especially you know, a guy like Terry Junell. Last that, year, and, and, you know, had the injuries and weren't, never really made it out on the field other than camp. But I agree with you on the depth of this, but you have a lot of unproven guys. Is that, see, that's, that's exactly that's, what that's I was getting kinda, at. That's kind of the issue here. But I don't know. I mean, do they flourish in an offense like this? Do they flourish in an offense that wants to run the football 40 to 50 times a game? I don't know. I mean, you've got a lot of guys that who have who have shown their abilities prior to UTEP, but not necessarily a lot of guys who have any experience at the D1 level or a lot of production at the D1 level. A guy that I'm looking for, though, again, like you were talking about the tight ends to start off, though, Hayden Plink, man, a guy that really broke out last year, expecting a lot of big things from him this year. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. Warren Reddick, Andy Senegal, those type of guys – Breakout guys, Terry Janelle, obviously we expected him to do some stuff in the, on special teams as well last year. There's a lot of questions still, though, in this unit, and, and I'm just looking for them to, to be answered, at least some of them on Saturday. And, and like I said, I, I personally think that, that the play calling, because you look at all those guys and you're going to have to divvy up snaps. And I think what it's going to be at, at, at first is going to be a committee and who runs the best route, you know, or who, who can run this package well. If we throw out our – our 12 personnel or whatever it may be, whatever type of personnel group is who can run this, this route tree, whatever it is. And I think that's what you're going to see. And it's going to be about who can, who can be that guy, who can be that guy that can break that mold of an unproven wide out and really step up and help out the quarterbacks. And I think that's more than anything that's offense. You don't really, I mean, it's great. It's great to have an a thousand yard receiver, you know, flirt with 80, 90 receptions and get close to 10 touchdowns. But the thing is just helping out the quarterbacks in these passing situations in UTEP's run-heavy offense. And as we get into the quarterbacks, I mean, there's really, you know, this is not throwing shade on a Kavika or Ryan, but I think we all knew who the starter was going to be as long as he came in and did his job. And I think Zach Greenlee did that and some. I think that's one of the reasons why that he's a starter. And that's not knocking these guys because Ryan Metz and Kavika Johnson, from what I saw, were right there. You know, you're talking about 1A, 1B, and 1C. You know, there's always that notion of, oh, you don't have one quarter. If you don't have one quarterback, you don't have any quarterback. I really think that all three of these guys, either way, no matter – oh, depending on how the offense is ran, we've seen how the offense kind of switches with, under Sean Cougar with, who's, in quarter, who's playing quarterback. But I think a guy like Zach Greenlee is really, really going to upgrade UTEP's consistency in the passing game. Notice I didn't say increase their yardage, increase their touchdowns, increase the per average, increase any advanced metric, uh, advanced metric that I like to look at. I think he's just going to provide that consistent 
experience. And, and one thing that's overlooked, I wrote about it today in the game preview, he can move a little bit. He can scramble. You know, UTEP's pocket hasn't broke down that much over the past couple of years with this offensive line, the cohesive unit. But I think that's going to be kind of a wild card for him. And, and so, what, you know, what are your thoughts on Zach Green? I haven't really heard of what you I, I think about this kid. I don't know too much about him, to be completely honest with you. I mean, you look at his numbers at Fresno. They weren't they, – they're not jump-off-the-page numbers. They're not – they're not numbers in a spread, that, offense, in a spread offense. And, and, you know, he throws for, what is it, 800, almost 900 yards in seven games. Had one big one game. One big game, exactly. One big game with almost more, I guess, more than a third of your yards. So, that means six games you threw for 500 yards. Like, that's, it's, it's kind of tough to judge a guy based on just those numbers. But at the same time, you know, he, he's outplaying these guys that you know what they bring in spring ball and in, in, in off season. So it's, you, you have to assume that he's got what it takes to lead this team, but you look at the way the coaching staff has, has, has used these quarterbacks in the past, you know, they don't ask too much of them. They exactly. don't come out and ask them to go out and make plays with their feet or, or hit every single throw. You know, they're, they're, they're asking them to make simple passes, manage the offense, manage the game. Don't let it get out of hand, hand the ball off to Aaron Jones, Get your safety valves, stuff like that. You know, every now and then you're going to be throwing a deep ball, but it's just they don't really – they keep him on a tight leash. That's the main thing. So, I think, you know, the main thing with him having his, the experience that he does, I think that brings a lot to the table, but I just don't know much about him to be able to make kind of, you know, statement or conclusion about how he's going to play this year. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. The good thing is you've got guys behind him. Just in case anything happens, in case it doesn't pan out, you've got guys behind him. You've got a guy like Ryan Metz, you know, that has come out and played his heart out since he's been here and, and led, led this team to a couple of huge wins last year. You got Kavika Johnson who's now got a year under his belt, extremely talented quarterback. You know, so you've got guys behind have game experience that have been around the program that know what's expected of them. So if things don't pan out, you still got two other options to go to. That, that's, that's a good thing here, but you know, you're hoping this quarterback can, can step in and, and lead this offense. Like we know, uh, he can. And that was my biggest question on Monday when, I, when we had a chance to interview Kugler at the weekly presser was, you know, how much maybe I guess you can call it leeway because it seems like he earned some trust. You know, they, they did a couple of things that when watching some of the scrimmages that they wouldn't have done the past couple of years. You know, Brent Peace is calling a, you know, you're in a second and seven situation and he's calling for a deep, it looked like a skinny post with Eddie Senegal and you all had crossing routes and you had a deep guy. You know, and, and for him to trust Zach Greenley, who stepped up, very poised, stood tall in the pocket, delivered a, a beautiful ball that, that moved the chains. You didn't really see that. What was it normally? Maybe some type of out route, some type of bubble screen, a draw, a quarterback. You know, you bring in Kavik. But that, that's what I really kind of led me to that question because it seemed like the trust is a little bit there. So when I asked Kugler, it says, well, it's just like anything. It was a typical, typical, typical Kugler answer, just like anything, trust is earned. So I think I think they are going to give him a little bit of wiggle room just to see if he can handle it. And, and if he excels, I really believe that Cougar will let him go. But I think, it's going to be very minimal at yeah, first. Yeah, exactly. Very minimal very at minimal. first. And, and they're going to be quick to pull it back if, if yeah. he makes any mistakes or if it's not going to And go back to 2-9. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, ju- to judge a guy based off of scrimmages. You yeah, know? Oh, it's, yeah. it's so interesting because college football is one of the only sports where you don't get true – you know, exhibition games yeah. to warm up and games that don't count. But at the same time, you get your feet set, you get your bearings on what a real game is like, you know. And in college football, you can go up against your teammates and practice all you want. You can run all the like damn you stud. want. <laughs> yeah, and you look like a damn stud. But once you get out there and you're talking about D1 game speed, 
It's a completely different animal. Yeah. And so it's hard to say, well, he looked good in the pocket. He sat back and he hit some throws. You know, he moved the change, whatever it is. It's hard to say, I'm going to give him that leeway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let loose this leash a little bit, you know, because you just don't know. I mean, he's not necessarily proven coming out of Fresno. The main thing he has going for him is that he's experienced. You know, he's got that experience under his belt. He's been around the game for a while. So I agree with you. They, they might let him go a little bit, but I think it's going to be very, very he- tightly held. If, if anything happens, it, it's coming right back, and <laughs> there's no more messing around. Especially early on in the season because we've seen Sean Cougar really hold his cards tight as far as play calling early on. Now, you know, Brent Pease, it seems like, you know, Sean is giving him the 150% trust. Which he should. Which he definitely should because it seemed like he was kind of, hold, you know, maybe holding, quote-unquote, holding back Patrick Higgins from that. But, again, I mean, that – that that situation, I think, was all on Patrick Higgins more yeah. than it was Sean Cougar holding him back. But that's going to definitely be interesting because, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to, especially early on in the year, especially a team like New Mexico State, who you should be able Look to. This guy. You should, Look at this guy, bro. Can't you, I'm a I busy to, cat, bro. Do I even make an announcement to put your phone on silent? <laughs> I don't know what this guy wants. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be real interesting to see how they, you know, because you could, they should be able to run for 250 easily, minimum against New Mexico State. So you might not have to rely on Zach Greenley, but it would be nice to see something. It would be nice to see a nice play-action shot or something. Talking about uh, Brett Peace and, and, you know, about him having complete control of this offense and and complete trust from Sean Kugler, I don't think there's any question about that because, look, Brent Peace isn't a guy that needs to come coach at Utah. Let's be be completely honest with you, with with ourselves. he He could definitely find a job somewhere out there. I'm not saying he's the best offensive coordinator to ever coach in the game, but he can, he can find a job. So let's not say that, you know, we were doing him any favors right. by hiring him. I think, if anything, he was doing us a favor. Big and time. I think it's kind of like you see with some of these players that come in, talk about Zach Greenlee. You know, we knew he was going to be the starting quarterback, assuming everything went according to plan in, in the fall and whatnot, in the, in the summer and fall. And, and you know, you, so it's the same situation with Brent Peace. You know, you have a coach that you pretty much know coming in, like, this is one of those conversations that Kugler probably had with him, like, yo, come run my offense. I'm not going to mess with you. You can have all complete control. I'll give you input here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, might, I might give you, you know, some input. But once that game starts, you have control of that offense. It is your offense. And, and I, I don't think there's any question about that. And I think it's deserved. I mean, the guy's yeah. proven himself. You know, he's, he's, he's run some solid offenses. And hopefully, you know, with, with the weapons that Utah has, he can continue to do it here. But I definitely think he's got 100% control of that. Speaking of new coordinators, let's switch over to the defensive side. Tom Mason comes in. The biggest thing that I've gotten, you can compare. I guess you could say I'm comparing, you know, what the players were saying under Scott Stoker compared to what they're saying under Tom Mason. Under Scott Stoker, this defense is difficult. You got to learn it. Uh, you know, you got to be you know, just more. Players. And now you're looking at talking to these kids in the spring, talking about, you know, Tom Mason, oh, this defense is fun. This defense fits us. This defense is going to work. You know, we we learned it already. We learned it. All now we got to do is just build on it, and that's key. That's huge because you're, you, these guys are buying in defensively, and I think the strong point will start off here in the secondary. I think Utah's secondary, depth-wise, front-line-wise, very, very talented. You know, the guy that really stood out to me in the spring, Brendan Royal, a guy that is fits that prototypical safety size, you know, maybe not so much of a ball hawk right now in terms of being able to, to break up passes and being an interception machine, but a very solid tackler, a guy that really is a sound player, great hips, does his job, doesn't really get out of whack. And then you're mixing him at free safety with Deshaun Smith, who is a proven veteran, you know, a guy that has two career pick sixes. He's been a, a pretty much virtually a starter since he walked on campus after his redshirt year. And then you move over to strong safety and Devin Cockrell coming back. 
huge to get a guy like Devin back. All indications from camp is that Kevin, De- Devin did not lose a step. You know, it was a microfracture injury, and at first, I didn't know, I don't know much about medical, but I thought that was pretty serious. And he, and doing some research on a microfracture surgery isn't that serious as I thought it was. So it's good to see him moving around. And then you look at the corners, a guy that we've been high on since they signed him, Kalon Beverly's coming back as yep. a senior or a sophomore. So many starts, rough start to last season, improved and was one of the better cover corners, one of the better defensive players, one of the better defensive tacklers on the minors last year. And then Nick Needham, a guy that has that star quality as well. Those two guys mixed in. And then the stud that jumped out in camp, Colby McGarry, a guy that was supposed to be a linebacker, played at Cedar Hill, played against some of the top recruits, playing with playing with and playing against some of the top recruits at Cedar Hill. And you've got to like this mix of, of veterans with, with you veterans at safety mixed with this rookie, with the youngsters at corner. And not only that, but this defense is going to fit them because there's no more on the island. There's no more, no safety help over the top. It's going to be basically, you're going to have to throw over two guys this year if you want to beat UTEP deep. And that has been an issue, as we've known under Sean Cougar, getting burnt deep with, with veteran guys like Adrian James and Tron Robertson. Now, come to think about it, it was scheme. Yeah. You know, it was scheme over just guys not making plays. And I think that's really got to be a big key for that UTEP secondary to have that safety top with ball hawks like a Deshaun Smith and, and, and Devin Cockrell to a sense, and I'm pretty sure that they've definitely worked on that. But I really like the depth that they have there in the secondary. You know, as far as Tom Mason goes, that's another unknown for me. That's another question mark. Because, yeah, big time. You know, obviously we had the whole situation with uh, – I don't even remember his name at this point. The, the, Stoker. No, no, no. The, the guy that they first announced. Oh, oh like Choke? Jeff Choke? Jeff, no, no, no. That was, last, that was the last time, bro. Talking about the oh. dude from Cleveland, from the Cleveland Browns uh, – Fuji or Fuji film. Anyway, you know, you have that whole situation go down. So, you know, first off, right off the bat, that Tom Mason isn't your top choice. That's, that's first and foremost. I don't know how well, how, how well he can coach his defense. I don't know how good of a coach he is. He's been around the game a long time. But you look at the couple times that the guy, you know, had control of a team. His teams went like 1-10, 1-11, something like that. And you can't judge a book just – by its cover like that, but it's, but it's legit. It's, it's, it's just, so hard yeah. to say, you know, that he's got the tools to, to really give these guys what they need to, to be successful. But when you talk about the, the scheme switch from the four two five now into what we're looking at a base three four, the, the in the secondary we've stockpiled guys, you safeties. know, safeties and, and corners, but we've stockpiled guys because of that need for that extra defensive back and that scheme. So now you come in and and. In years past, I feel like we've talked about, oh, they're, they're so young, they're so young, they're so young, they're so young, and now they're kind of starting to get this, this, this experience. And then we talk about a guy like Kalam Beverly, Nick Needham, two guys that are coming in as sophomores. But, you know, you've got – not only now do you have the, the depth in the secondary, but you've got experience and you've got guys that can make plays. Hopefully, like you're talking about, you know, just the fact that they're able to learn this defense a little better, it's a little easier for them. It, when, when a defense is – to learn, it can definitely have a negative impact because guys are, start getting lost, missing as assignments. Simple as, li- as yeah, simple as lining as up. As simple as lining up, you know, missing assignments, and that's how you get beat for an 80-yard score or whatever it is. So anyway, you know, it, that's going to help. You know, the fact that they're more confident in this defense is going to help. But, man, it, it just feels like every year you, you don't know what to expect from these UTEP defenses, and this is just another year of that. Secondary, again, now we got some depth. Now we got some experience. Things are looking like they're heading in the right direction, but again, just so many questions heading into Saturday. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, it's it's really that's that's a strength, you know, 
when you, you're dead on about we don't know what to expect out of Tom Mason. The only thing we know is that that scheme's definitely going to help out an experienced secondary. But the question starts relying on that front seven, you know, because you, you, you're playing guys that were playing inside last year, looking at the defensive line. Mike Soto was a three-technique defensive tackle. Christian Richardson, the freshman, was recruited to be a three-technique defensive tackle. Gino Breslin kind of played on the nose a little bit, but the three tech and so was Sky Logan. And then you look at that linebacker spot and you got now where I think it's going to be a strength. I think you look at this will spot. And in terms of when I say strength, I think strength in terms of pass rushing with Nick Usher, Lawrence Montague, you know, you probably have Alvin Jones, even though he's at a middle linebacker, I'm pretty sure he may slide over. There's going to be a lot of variety out of those four guys. And I think that's really the big question. Not only – I think pass rush, I think this, this team's going to be a really good pass rushing team with the 3-4. My concern is stopping the run and, and eliminating big plays. I think that's what's kind of going to – that's something that we got to watch early. And unfortunately I, – I, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know if it's unfortunate if Larry Rose misses, but that would be a huge test to find out, to see a guy like Larry Rose and how that front seven can handle it. Because, you know, you, you look at it, there's going to be a lot of blitzing going on from – you're gonna you're gonna be missing. Most of the time, you may be playing a three three five. Sometimes it may be because you're gonna have a guy like Usher who's a proven pass rusher. He's gonna get his looks off the edge. Montague's another pass, a good pass rusher. And then on that on that Sam side, Silas firstly with defensive end and a pretty good pass rusher himself. So that's really my question: is how effective can this defense be? Not only with just getting to the quarterback, but staying key and and, key and and not overloading one side and getting burned the other, which we've kind of seen a little bit with the Scott Stoker defense, but that was more man coverage. So now you're going to see some linebackers running zone. You may see Alvin Jones get another couple of interceptions. Who knows? But that's a big question because there's a lot of guys there that have proven in that 4-2-5 that's shown, but now you got Nick Usher standing up. Now you got Montague standing up. Now Silas Versi standing up. And then in the middle, right next to Alvin Jones, you have very inexperienced guys. You know, Delonte Lovellet had a really good, a really good uh, fall camp. Very productive JUCO linebacker, but he's a JUCO guy. Is, is he going to have a big curve? Is he going to, or is he going to come in and make an impact like Jimmy Musgrave did? Who knows? But there's just so many unknowns within that front seven. Where you're right. I mean, you just don't know exactly how effective it could be. The pieces are there, but there's just so many questions with with you know what I just touched on, and it's going to be interesting to see how this team really folds because the talent is there defensively in terms of returning talent. You know, but, you know, like you said, Tom Mason has had some leaky defenses at times. But then again, you look at it, that job he did at SMU with almost the same, I don't want to say the same exact talent, but the same makeup of talent with talent in the secondary with some guys that can get after the, the passer or get to, to rush the passer. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that front seven not only plays, but molds together in terms of play calling, in terms of guys just making plays. I mean, I hope you're, you're right about being able to get pressure on that quarterback off the edge because that's something that we've definitely lacked in years past. And, you know, Conference USA, as we know, is not necessarily the most – although we've had some really good running backs come through this league and, and you know, maybe even still in this league right now, but we it, it's not necessarily the most ground-and-pound league. So we're going to have to be able to get pressure on these quarterbacks uh, and, and if we're able to do that, then we're definitely going to be more successful. But, you know, going to the, to the linebackers, the one thing that jumps out at me is that it seems like you've got a few guys maybe on, on, you know, on the depth chart. You look across the top of the depth chart, and it seems like there's definitely experience. But you start taking a step back, and it seems like there's a lot more freshmen and sophomores. Way more. And, and, and so you just hope that that doesn't become an issue. You yeah. know, as the season progresses and Knicks and Deans come about – 
you just hope that that doesn't become an issue because it's, it's tough to replace some of these guys when you're really running one, one deep on that depth chart. Yeah. But we'll see how it all plays out, man. Again, this whole thing for me right now, I haven't, you know, been able to get out as much as I would like to and see them in, in, in scrimmages and whatnot in practice. But there's regardless of that, you know, again, like I was talking about, you can only get so much out of that. There's just so many unknowns all across this team, you know, heading into in, heading into Saturday. I mean, you've got two new coaches, you know, coordinators on both sides of the ball. You've got a guy in Aaron Jones who's a stud, you know, running back, but at the same time is coming back off of a huge injury, you know, and you hope that he can get right back to where he was, but you never know. You just never know. And, and, you know, across the defense, you've got some young guys, you've got some talent, they're changing up to a new scheme. So it's just, it, there's just so many unknowns and, and it's hard to see or say how it's all going to come together. You know, first, first shot comes Saturday. And, you know, I think a little bit, a little bit of a switching topics here, not switching topic, but just kind of moving over to, you know, our foe this Saturday, let's talk a little bit about NMSU and what they bring to the table. Um, I don't think it's necessarily going to be the NMSU of old. What, what do you think? No, I think, you know, Doug Martin said something very interesting that kind of turned up my ears and I kind of made it a big deal, I guess, because I put up the headline for, you know, his weekly interview that we like to do with the – we like to let you guys know what the other coach is saying. And he really feels like he can match UTEP physically on line of scrimmage. He feels like, you know – and I kind of believe him. You know, I kind of believe him maybe not across the board – you know, but you look at at what they have defensively, and and they made some. You know, I mean, hey, look what they did last year. They put they they took out Mac Leverage out the game. They shut down the run game. Now I should have lost. Yeah, probably should have lost that game. And so I agree with him with that point. But you know, you look at offensively and what they've done with the talent of, of receivers that they have. That offense is going to be explosive, and that's going to be a huge test for that secondary we were talking about. And not only that, but they're starting just like UTEP. They're starting to develop some depth. In terms of playmakers, not just guys that are going to fill out a depth chart, but guys that can come out there and make a difference. And I think now, you know, you're in your fourth year under a program under Doug Martin. You know, a lot of pride that he's put in there, and he's he's kept it real classy. He could have really thrown, you know, the, the previous coach under the bus over there because that was a, he's he's stepped into a shit storm there. Yeah. You know, so for him to be able to, to get close to 85 scholarship players, I mean, this this does seem like a new New Mexico State team, but. The past week, they've had some shit happen with Three their programs. Players. Three of their top players are – two of them are out. One's in question. Tyler Rogers, I was reading some stuff from Jason Grove. Shout out to Jason over there at the Las Cruces Sun News about um, basically the DA's office over there isn't going to persecute him, but New Mexico State still has to go through some due diligence, you know, to see whether they're going to suspend him or they – you know, there's a lot of – there's a lot of fine print that I guess it has to be done with him, and that's, that's crazy as shit. Because there was, like I wrote in, in the game preview, a couple of weeks ago, UTEP's dominance in this rivalry looked almost even. Yeah. It looked very even. It, it looked like a game that you could pretty much just toss it up because New Mexico State's improved. Now, I feel like UTEP's ability to run the football and play keep away can be a difference. But at the same time, New Mexico State, we don't know what, the, what we're going to get. They have a new defense as well. You know, and they have some athletes. They have, you know, maybe not deep uh, a depth plethora of athletes, but they have two or three guys, a, a big way who's going to be out. You know, Rodney Butler, um, you know, Terrell Hanks, a guy that I really, really like. And then their safety is a very talented guy. That's going to be uh, – there's more unknowns on their side to see how they're going to react to what UTEP is going to do and run the football and has ran over them. And in, so what I feel turned in – what I feel was a close matchup on paper, now it turns in maybe to a 14-point swing if you don't have a guy like Tyler Rogers back there who's really tore up UTEP the past couple of years. No doubt about it. And it, I mean, not 
I was trying to look up a little information on his backup just to kind of get an idea of what we're up against. G- G- GD, G- I can't GD or something like that. You have any thoughts on him? He threw for 500 yards last year. Played a little bit. I think he played in nine games, but he's more. I think he's more of a change of pace athletic guy. You know, looking at his rushing stats from last year, I mean, he didn't rush for a, a ton. You know, only 93 yards. You take into fact, you know, sacks and whatnot, the quarterback position. But you know, I think the big key, I think, what New Mexico State has done well against UTEP is run that option. You know, they run that 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 kind of that speed spread option. You know, w- with the pitch man like Larry Rose, I mean, that's tough to gauge. But you you throw in a guy like GD or. Same <laughs> GD, whatever, and, he, and and you know, and even Tyler Rogers runs that well, and I think Gene T, something like that, you know, and I think that kid is, I think his athleticism is going to be a key because that offense. I was listening to a good interview with Doug Martin the other day. You know, that offense isn't a system offense. I've noticed that under him. I've noticed how good uh, the difference between last year Andrew Allen, the guy that they had in there, from Tyler Rogers is night and day. Tyler Rogers is a very talented quarterback that New Mexico State is lucky to have. And you've got to have a guy that can make a play. You've got to have a guy that can get it out of your hands because they kind of are that quick strike offense. And, by the way, they lost Teldrick Morgan, who's been a UTEP killer, had over 200 yards two years ago, had another buck 50 or a buck 79 last year. So, but they're really excited about the wide receivers they have around them. And that's going to be interesting to see because I think if you see a guy like GD in there, over Rodgers. I think we're going to see more option. I think you may see a little bit more power run. You won't see kind of that downfield threat that you're used to with Tyler Rodgers. Really, that's what's torn us up these yeah. last few years, even though we've come away with the wins. But, you know, I think I think it comes down to setting the pace early on, controlling the line of scrimmage. That's huge. You know, just, just being able to, to enforce your will on them. Um, you don't want to give these guys any confidence. It's, it's a it's a rivalry game. It's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be the chance, even without Rodgers in there, even if, you know, these guys come out, they're going to play their hearts out. They're going to, they're going to be looking for the W, especially on the road. We've got, what, seven in a row now against them? Yeah. Or is it seven? Is seven. that what it's at? Last so. count, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's going to be a good game. I want to move down real quick and talk about uh, five players to watch that you put up in the, uh, in the pregame. Obviously, we've talked about Aaron Jones. You've mentioned a little bit about Greg Hogan. Um, I guess let's move on to Alvin Jones. He's had a, a pretty good career against the Aggies. What are your thoughts? On he has, you know, against, against the Aggies this year. I'm real interested to see how he's using this in this three four. I didn't, I haven't got, I didn't get to see him. In, in every test scrimmage I went to, they held him out smartly, of course. So I'm real interested to see how much they move him around. Because like I mentioned earlier, he's listed as the Mike. I personally think that you're going to see him off the edge. He may even line up at safety or like a dog position. You know, I think there's a lot of talking with Tom Mason. You know, in the spring. And it was kind of vanilla, you know, what they ran. They were trying to learn the basics. And then I asked him, you know, talk about these installs. And his eyes lit up, you know, because you can do a whole bunch of shit with that 3-4 defense. I mean, you can throw you can throw a wrench and go four down linemen. You can drop two down and go four. You, there's so much shit that yeah. you can do. And I think Tom Mason kind of has that creative gene because he sees what he has. So I'm interested to see how much we see Alvin Jones as a middle linebacker. Because that's a that, that's almost even though last year in the four two five he was essentially a middle linebacker, but Jimmy Musgrave was that middle linebacker guy that nothing's getting past that second level because he can go sideline to sideline. Alvin Jones can't do that, but we haven't seen him do that. He's been a guy that's came off the edge. He's been a guy that's been that 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 blast pass rusher, that guy that's gonna come off the edge and just blast past whatever gap is open. So I'm interested to see him if he's really gonna play middle linebacker or is he gonna be a rover. 
and kind of just be a weapon, you know, a guy that you can send behind a Nick Usher or a guy that you can send off of, off of Breslin up the middle. And I think that could open him up for more production. And I think it's going to open up other teams because you got to account for this guy. Now, I mean, he was snubbed last year from all conference USA honors. And I think, I God think this leading, defense, he was leading in sacks through leading like, sacks had like two, four safeties or three, four, safeties, four, so all the UTEP safeties. I mean, yeah. unbelievable. And he had an interception against the word. I believe it was a word. So I really think I'm going to just enter. I think he's going to have a big year because I'm around, but even if he stays in the middle, you know, that's going to be, I think that's going to be based on how effective the guy next to him is and, and level it or Cooper Foster. Those guys may be interchangeable. So I, I'm real interested to see how they use him in this 3-4 defense because, you, I mean, I can think of a million different ways that I've only played NCAA 14, bro. So <laughs> <laughs> Other guys to look out for, uh, Terrell Hanks, a guy that's, that's going to have his, guy. his hands full, though. Um, and Zach Greenlee, uh, obviously talked plenty about him. Key to the game, man. The biggest key of the game. The biggest key in this game is going to be the adjustments, man, because there's so many unknowns. You don't know what you're getting from Frank Spagnuolo's defense. They don't know what they're getting from Tom Mason. We don't know who's going to play quarterback. Yeah. We don't know who's going to play running back for New Mexico State. In-game adjustments are going to be probably the most important thing, right? I mean, I you know I stacked them, but I think right next to right after the controlling line of scrimmage, making these adjustments, seeing what's going on, particularly, I think, defensively, because there's so many unknowns of who's going to start, who's going to play where, who's going to do what for New Mexico State. And I think that's going to be a key of who can make the best adjustments, not only in-game, but at halftime. Who can find those trends? Because you kind of, in these early games, it seems like teams kind of lean on their bread and butter early, especially in, in a push game. Now, you know, when you're playing shit me in the face state you know you're gonna be able to do a lot of different things if you want but in the game that we figure is gonna be close and it's gonna you know it's gonna the game may swing a little bit it's a rivalry game and all that blah, 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 blah. that's gonna be key who can make that key adjustment whatever it may be yeah. whether it's picking up on a picking up on a trend you know changing up something that's really gonna be key particularly because there's so many unknowns in these with these two teams. Dominic the line of scrimmage, coaching adjustments as you're talking about, get to the QB often, another thing that we talked about a second ago, and stop or contain the option. Haven't touched too much on that, but like you were talking about, you know, with Rogers if he's out looking for them to be running more of that option. So that's definitely gonna be something to, to look at. I, I just think New Mexico State's really gonna to try to offset the loss of Larry Rose in any way they can. Yeah. And that option could be big for them. Right. What I like here is uh, you give UTEP's three keys for a win, but you actually give four. Oh, I didn't change that. <laughs> nah, I didn't change that. That was my bad. I was, That's that I was, bonus. That's that bonus. <laughs> that bonus. My bad. I can't count. I went to Andrew. All right. So let's do this. Let's, we always talk about, you know, predictions and whatnot. Let's start off with a prediction. As it, if it were happening tonight, you know, pl- these players are out. And UTEP's got this advantage. What do you think? What do you think is going to be the outcome of the game? If, if Tyler Rogers is out, UTEP rolls. I, okay. I just don't see. I don't see them being able to put up points like they did last year, and in those big plays that they had. I think that's a big part of what they're trying to do, and I think that really cancels that out and it gives UTEP a, a chance to just control the clock and control the line. Let's flip the script. We're surprised Saturday morning we find out Tyler Rogers is going to be playing starting. How do you think that one plays? Oh, out? baby, we got a ball game. <laughs> I, I think the difference will be turnovers. In that case, I think the difference will be those it will be possessions. 
gaining extra possessions, being able to finish drives, being able to, to, to take care of business with the football because I think it's going to be hard to stop Rodgers. I just, no matter what, as much as we've talked about the secondary and the new defense, I mean, the guy is still talented. You know, the guy is still talented, and I think that's, that's a big 14-point swing. I really think Tyler Rodgers is worth 14 points. Hey, shout out to all the betters out there. If you're listening to us, you want to know what's up. I really feel that. I'm no expert on it, but I think that's a 14-point swing. I still think UTEP covers. Regardless, I still think they can win by two scores, but this guy puts a lot more pressure on that UTEP defense, and he puts a lot more not only pressure physically but mentally because, like I said, there's, they're going to try to offset a lot of things that Rose did well and try to make up with that in other ways. I'm pretty sure that's what's been going on this week in Las Cruces, and I think Rodgers can execute that. You know, I, I would never, ever, ever pick, you know, the Aggies to beat them up. No, they won't win. They I, won't I win. I would never but... pick that, but I will say that, I've just had this feeling that it's not going to be a pretty game for that us. They're due. That they're due. I mean, they are. That's the truth. They are. I mean, at some point, they're going to get a win against it. Like, you can't <laughs> win them all. But but I'm not saying that they're going to come out and win this game. I'm just thinking – I think it's going to be a, a, a sloppy game for us. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of adjustments that need to be made post-game, not necessarily at halftime and figure out, you know, what the other team's doing. I'm talking about within our own team, you know, adjustments that we're going to have to figure out on all these, you know, tricks and, and, and bells and whistles that you're talking about on the defensive end, you know, with all these switches and whatnot. But just there's just going to be so many things that need to be ironed out. I think there's going to be, you know, I, w- I want to see what we're going to see from Zach Greenlee. I want to see him take care of the football, but I feel like there's going to be a few turnovers. I think that it's just going to be a sloppy game. I think UTEP's going to come out on top. Obviously, without Tyler Rogers, we're going to have a much better chance to win. But I think this is going to be a close game. I really do. I think it's going to be one that people will be in the Sun Bowl until, you know, just about the end. We've seen plenty of games where guys, you know, people are walking out third quarter or whatever. But I think this is going to be one that's going to come down. If not to the wire, you know, it's it's going to be a game into the fourth quarter. I really think so. I just think it, there's just so many unknowns on, on, on our end that, you know, it's going to take some iron on. It's going to be more than just one game. So uh, we'll see what happens. I, I won't predict a final score, but I definitely think we'll come up with the win. It's just it's not going to be it, it. It's not going to be pretty. I, I think it's going to be a sloppy game. I think we'll come up with the win. Though. That's fair. That's definitely definitely fair to say. So uh, I didn't even notice you did the you did it right I did here. Do you did, I did it if do Tyler it. Rogers plays and if he doesn't. Yeah. I, and you did three points. You just said he's worth fourteen. You only changed it by three. What do you mean? That's fourteen. Forty-five, thirty-one. No, on New Mexico State side. Oh, I meant okay, I meant okay, 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 a, okay, a point okay, swing for New Mexico State. Yeah, yeah. So just real quick before we jump into Conference USA, quick expectations. We got a pretty good question here on, on the commenter from Adam Sanchez, guy that's called the show before. Uh, you know, basically he's saying this. If UTEP, his expectation is obviously high because this is what his question is. If UTEP does indeed win 10 more games this year, will Coach Cougar and staff be rewarded going forward? I mean, that's pretty much an obvious question. I mean, at that what's, point, what's, it, what's rewarded though? I mean, see, yeah, then that, there's that, only there's, the thing is, there's only if you're talking about getting raises and whatnot, there's only so much money in the pocket. Exactly. You know, like you have to have consistent success before you can really have the pockets to be able to pay coaches what they deserve. Only one bowl you know, game. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and and not only that, I mean that bowl game doesn't pay anything. Yeah. You know, that's the problem we're talking about when we get to bowl games. We're, we're playing at the lower tier. Our TV packages in Conference USA are falling apart. Dog shit. You know, it's it's dog, dog shit. shit. It is. You know, they're falling <laughs> apart. Every year they, it seems like they get worse and worse, like they're being renegotiated and less and less games. And it's just it's hard to pay guys. Now, I think that there's creative ways that the university could do it. I think you could definitely find donors that could donate 
specifically for coaching salaries, yeah. but that kind of stuff will never happen. I, I, I just don't think it'll ever happen. I, I think so, the only way they're rewarded is if they get picked up by somewhere else. Because you, you, you win 10 games at UTEP, and you've done what Sean Cougars do here. I'll he's going to throw – so he can get some offers from that. that that's my take on I'll that question. I'll start with this. I think it's going to be extremely difficult to win 10 games. Oh, yeah. You know, extremely yeah. difficult. You look, and I, I mean, I'm talking about 10 games pre-bowl. I'm not you know, considering a bowl game because I don't even know. Obviously, we're going to one or not. So you talk about Texas, all right? Look, as, as, as homer as I am, I would never there. chalk that one up as a win. It, it's probably it, – might get ugly. going to be ugly. But it's it's pretty much a loss, you know, especially at Texas. So you already got one loss there. It means you need to go 11-1 and one or 10-1 and one the rest of the season. You know, you got Army at home. Army, not a great program, but look, that's a triple option team that the Miners and, and a lot of defenses have trouble stopping. It's hard to get your no. bearings in that one. You know, that's not necessarily a win. You start off with a team like Southern Miss to open up conference. Tough. That's going to be a tough game. Then you go to La Tech. Even minus, uh, what's his name? Uh, Dixon, Kenneth Dixon, Kenneth Dixon. and Driscoll. It doesn't matter. Tough. On the road, it's going to be a tough game. I mean, there are these tough games where you almost have to play perfect in order to get to that 10-win mark. Like, I don't think people really realize how hard it is in football to win double digits. Like, it's, oh. you know, you see these big programs do it year in and year out. That's not reality. I mean, it's really hard to do it. So, going back to the question, you know, I, I just, first of all, I don't see them winning 10 games. Yeah. Second of all, I think it takes more than one 10-win season to be able to, to generate enough revenue to be able to consider giving guys a significant raise. They might get bonuses. You know, oh, yeah. winning, I'm pretty sure it's in their contract. Yeah, winning, con- winning, winning uh, 10 games, you're probably winning the conference, so you're, you're going to get some type of bonus for, for that, for making a bowl game, so on and so forth. But to actually get a significant raise to where you're going from making four or 500 to making six or 700 – that's tough. You got to do what that's Boise tough. did, and look at what Boise what happened to Boise. Their coaches got poached, and it's that's what and, I'm and saying. And not only that, but Boise was built over decades. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it wasn't like they just one day exactly. to the next, you know, had a ten-win season and they were there. Oh, and that, that's the key to raising the profile of UTEP athletics is a six to a decade year run of solid football success, throwing some conference championships, when some decent bowl game appearances. This is a great so, picture. I don't know if I've seen this on Twitter. I'm sure it's going viral by now, but it says. Uh, it took 12 minutes of Tennessee football against an FCS opponent to produce this image. The guy's got his hand on his head. So. Yeah, it was funny. There was a poll. Just, yeah. We're getting off topic a little bit, but there was a poll the other day that I saw on Twitter that I had to vote in. The, the most the, – the, the, the I don't know what the, what, what the exact wording was, but the most like, – the, like the college football program that's had – the fan base that's had the most shit happen to them, and I, I voted for Tennessee East. <laughs> down. It was even the poll was like 35% to so another 35. Yeah, yeah. The highlights on ESPN. 14 to th- 13, 13 to 3. App, App State ain't won to sleep on. I'll tell you number what. Number 9? bro. Yeah. Overhyped there. But. All right. Well, let's jump into some Conference USA. Let's, let's see what's going on around the conference uh, this weekend. That poll was very interesting. I mean, oh, shout out to whoever gave you a first place vote. I want with you smoking or drinking. <laughs> oh man, I love our voters, but that was crazy, man. I mean, that that's crazy because it's it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, you know, you look at the say, oh, we're so spread out, but the the East once again is it, it, it's like top heavy. It really does. The West outside of Southern Miss, who should be real good, who should be eight, nine win team good. I mean, you don't know who, you don't know who, you don't know who's going to step up. You don't know if LaTeX is going to take a couple steps back and go to their 2013 form. I mean, it's just, 
it's really, really tough. So I got to, even though I'm here clowning on our voters, I got to give them credit for even trying to put together, you know, a decent ranking. So it's going to be an interesting season, no doubt, in Conference USA football. It seems wide open, in my opinion. Top of the league in the preseason Conference USA power rankings are the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers coming off a 12-2 and season, undefeated conference record, 143 total points, five first-place votes. They open up the season against uh, Rice, kicking off right the Conference now, USA. That's going is on that going right on right now? now? Yeah. Yep, that is. Um, actually, let's take a look at that. Don't tell me the score, that, though, because I, I got to record it. Oh, wow, there's a lot of Conference USA action tonight. Yeah, FIU, Indiana's going there's at Charlotte's it. Charlotte's getting their balls kicked in that was 49 bad. to 0. Already? Louisville. You're talking yeah. barely going to half. Yeah, that was expected, though. I had a feeling they would get rolled. Ice for a 98-0. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, getting rolled, but yeah, not 98-piece. I don't know any Number two, real quick, Southern Miss. I think that's a team that, that obviously, I mean, it's not like they're coming out of nowhere, but that's the team for me to look out for. Everybody's really expecting a lot out of West Kentucky. I think obviously, they, they're expecting Southern I, Miss as I well. I think but Southern Miss gets Kentucky on the road. This, yeah, I, I, think this is, I think this is a team that's poised to have a, a big-time season, get back to the top of the league. I mean, Southern Miss is a, is a team, is a university with so much, you know, history in football, in, in college football. I mean, it's it, it, Two, three years ago, they were, what, 2-10? and ten? You know, yeah. they had a couple of years where they were really sliding, and it seemed like Southern Miss was the bottom of the league. That's not the case. That's, that's the exception to the rule, yeah. not the rule for them. And they're right back to where they belong. I think they're going to keep it going this year. They're going to run the gauntlet in the West. Definitely. And like you were talking about, uh, they're coming up with a road game at Kentucky. I mean, that's a very winnable game. And, in fact, Kentucky's only favored by 6.5 at home. So, you know, SEC opponent. Vegas is always going to give them the, the benefit of the doubt, but that's definitely a game that, that Southern Miss can go in and win. No doubt about that. Then we got the, probably, the I think, one of the better offensive teams returning, not only in Conference USA, but in the nation, Middle Tennessee, FCS opponent. That? I, that's ballsy. I said that. that Would they return on offense? Look up some stats on them. Would they have, I, but the big key for them is they did lose Shane Parker, a big-time running back, and they lost one of their better receivers. So two weeks ago – that was pretty a, a pretty accurate take. Now, you, you minus those guys, and then looking at the defensive side of the ball, they lost two of the more consistent producers in in uh, in T.T. Uh, Barber and Kevin Byard, who's a starting safety for the Titans right now. That's going to be interesting to see because I think that's a team that is going to really remind us of those Mike Price teams of the past. I think uh, Middle Tennessee fans are going to have a lot of shootouts on their hands this year. But that's a team that I think it could kind of sneak up on some teams. I don't I mean – I don't know if a number three team is going to sneak up on anybody and what they did last year going seven and six, but watch out for middle Tennessee in terms of putting up points and putting up some video game numbers. That's where I really like them. Their quarterback stock still was real controversial last year. You know, the, the, the true freshman coach's son starting quarterback, but he did pretty damn good. Yeah. And that's a talented player. And, and they have two really good quarterbacks as well. So watch out for for the Blue Raiders. Marshall comes in also tight though. That's kind of interesting. Uh, exact, exact same Exact same points, exact same first place votes. A lot of people think of the same thing about Marshall. I mean, they're a team that's, that's pretty much been a perennial leader. So they recruit uh, well. They recruit well. A lot, like you're saying, a lot of unknowns. But I, I guess that's another team that you're, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt to heading in. They open up the season. Let me see. They open up a bye this week. Oh, wow. At least. They don't start until next week. Well, that settles that. Moving on, you got Louisiana Tech coming in at number five. Not a whole lot known about Louisiana Tech on, from my perspective, man. What you got on there? I just don't. I don't. I don't see it. I don't. I, I see. I see them struggling this year. I don't know why. I see them struggling. Ryan Higgins has been replaced for the past two years. That's who they're trying to start at quarterback. 
you're in the post Kenneth Dixon era. You do have uh, with Carlos Henderson. You have that the other uh, little Wes Welker Jr. guy. You know, uh, I can't remember. I can't remember his name. Taylor. But I just think there's going to be a big drop off for for Louisiana Tech. They're rightly placed to be in number in that number five spot preseason. But I think they're going to take a step back this year. You know, I just – I don't see – they've recruited well. They got some pretty good pieces defensively. But I think they're going to struggle offensively probably for the first time since Ken and Dixon. Probably since the past two years they're going to struggle. So I think they're going to take a step back. Five wins I think would be disappointing. Or five, I, I would put them at five wins, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them sneak into a bowl game. And they got – I mean, they got a tough go at it because they start off at Arkansas. They got South Carolina State. They're at Texas Tech and at Middle Tennessee after that. Um, then they play UTEP. So depending on where we're at, you know, that might be a tough game for them as well, even though it's on the road for us. But they us. could start off one and two. Yeah, they could be one and two, maybe even maybe even one and three. I mean, that's that's definitely going to be a, a, a tough a tough little streak for them. And then they got Western Kentucky following that. Man, this team may be uh, on the ropes halfway through the season. I, I just, well, now uh, that you're saying tough. the schedule, it even makes me think more that the team may struggle a little bit. I don't know much about UMass. I mean, I know they've been they're, – they're still Division Two, right? They're still D2 or whatever. Are they independent? Or, are they independent, independent now? Yeah, I think so. Either way, then, this team this team's definitely got the work cut out, cut out for them in the first half of the season. So, we'll see how that goes. Uh, UTEP coming in at number six. We talked plenty about them. They got one first place, but whoever that is, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> Rice, number seven. Overrated. The two owls right there, seven and eight. Old Dominion, number nine. FIU, 10. UTSA, 11. We haven't talked about UTSA, man. They're opening up Saturday against Alabama State. What do you got on UTSA? I know you got some hate to spew at them. <laughs> Straight hater, just for the fun of it. What up, Jared? I know you listen to this, Jared. I'm about to spit a hot ticket. You know, I think I think it's gonna be a real similar situation to what we saw with Sean Cougar in 2013. They're doing a total culture overhaul from their social media to their schemes to their recruiting, and I think this year is gonna be. You'll see some growing pains. They may win some games they're not supposed to. The big thing for them is. They're not playing those crazy schedules that they played where they're loading up with three or five teams, and you could pretty much chalk them up. You know, last year we knew they were going to come in one and four in the conference play or whatever it was. So I think they're going to see some growing pains. Jarvion Williams is a talented guy, that running back, and they have two of probably the better safeties in the league with uh, Nate Egawagu and Nate Gaines back there. So that's going to be real interesting, but I still think, you know, they're going to struggle out just because they're they're overhauling everything. They want to be a physical pro-style team. You know, we saw the struggle. They were kind of – they didn't have the size for that last year. I don't think they had the speed to do that last year. So, you know, with a full spring and a full, and a full fall, it's going to be interesting to see how they can develop that and speed that up because they did get a couple of talented transfers as well. But I still think they'll, they'll – I think that they'll struggle to get five, six wins. But I wouldn't be surprised if they win three, four wins and come close to get to winning two or three more games. They'll be competitive, but just don't think they've turned that corner yet. North Texas opens up at SMU. They come in at 12. And Charlotte, like we talked about right now, two of the worst teams zero. in college football, I think, at the bottom. Yeah, North Texas and Charlotte, you know, I, I, love, I, I love the fact that North Texas is in Conference USA, you know, just because it gives you a potential rivalry. But, I mean, dude. <laughs> we're, we're, we've been looking for our ticket out since 1999, man. What are you talking about, rivalries, right. trying to set up rivalries? <laughs> let me, let me, that, let me I give want, you I want to jump into that for just one second before we move over to, to college basketball. Are you got some more? You got some more to talk I just, about? I just, I just want to say one. Wow. Now that – I just want to put a dark horse team that we can all remember, Florida International. Florida International will make a bowl game this year. 
And we'll, and we'll see we'll see we'll see what happens in November. But I think that's a that's a really sneaky team that I like that I really really like for international. Uh, let's see what's going on with my Cowboys right now. They're playing and Jamil Showers. Jamil Showers playing the entire game. Let's see if we can find that. There it is, right there. It should be. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts. No, that's not it. Um, that's the Tom Brady list uh, Patriots. But no, I wanted to get your thoughts on this whole new you know whirlwind that's about to hit. With uh, conference realignment, you know, you're talking about the big, the Big 12. You know, they're they're kind of grooming teams right or universities right now. They're kind of scouting them. Oh, there's a, la- a, a list that got been cut down to like 10 or 12 schools, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I and and I had heard that they wanted to possibly take up to three teams, right? Because or they've got 10 right now, right? Yeah. Up to four teams, if I'm not mistaken. I had heard that somewhere. I don't know if that's true yeah. or not, but to get to 14 for some reason, I don't know how true that is they would probably likely take two at the least because you're going to expand yeah. to get to that conference championship level of 12 teams. Um, what happens? I mean, this, this, it's going to set off a ripple effect where, you know, if they take from, from the Mountain West, the Mountain West is going to be looking for people, but if they take even from, you know, the American, the American may come to Conference USA or, or even to the Mountain West and look for them to replace spots or, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen here? Are the Miners once again going to be asking for that life raft from, from the Mountain West Conference? But it's not going to happen. I think you're going to see American Conference teams get poached. I th- really think you're going to see those teams get poached. Like in a turn, UConn? Yeah, like a UConn, Memphis, Memphis, Did Memphis Houston. I think that, well, Houston, I, I, I saw that, did. I saw that, that I think you at UCF too. UCF is and, and I think from there, you'll see Western Kentucky, Marshall, Southern Miss. I think those are the teams that 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 are on that. So you pedestal. think you think Americans gonna get poached from big from for the the Big Twelve is gonna come? Wow, they didn't even get to halftime. Louisville's already fifty six zero. So you think you think the Big Twelve is gonna go and poach the American? Yeah. Americans gonna go and poach Conference, Conference USA wet, Conference USA East. Okay. So now what do we do then? I mean, we're we're at that point. You know, we didn't really get any help. Because Mount West is still intact. I think you chill. You chill. You fucking chill the fuck out. You if you go down you to lose, ten, you lose, you lose Western Kentucky. Hey, all right. You lose Marshall. Let, you lose, these are the these are the top teams. Let me say, let me explain why. In this league. Let me explain why. If you go down to ten, you know what? The way the revenue is, the way TV, you don't need more mouths to feed. It's the same thing with with Mountain West trying to expand. You there? I think right now My the question TV, is going to be any food on the plate see and that's what i'm saying I mean, it, 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 it'd be ridiculous let okay let's just say it's throughout a theory let's just say okay they do let, let's just let's go for two teams let's say it is uconn let's say it is houston okay. so then you're gonna you're gonna move what you're gonna move western kentucky and southern miss one from the east one from the west that puts you back down at 12 because uab is coming in next year stay do not add james madison fuck new mexico state <laughs> Keep it at 12 because th- th- you just don't know what the future is going to hold in terms of that TV revenue money. And I don't, I, I don't think it, it's smart for Conference USA to expand if that number dips below 10. Now, if, if the Big 12 goes and they do poach four teams from the American Conference and, and Conference USA gets poached, I don't want to see any expansion because all that's going to do is set, set it back with a team like New Mexico State and another startup program. Yeah, let's, let's do this then. Let's just say that somehow, uh, let's let's say for argument's sake that that somehow the Mountain West loses two teams. 
Oh, whether, UTEP's whether, whether that be, do you think that UTEP's in? Easily. Or do you think they stay? They're at twelve, right? Yeah. And they've got thirteen in football, right? Is that because yeah. they got Hawaii? That's season, and they could, they could. So, so what do they do then? Do you think we get snubbed again, even at that level, or what do you? I mean, that, if, if they want, if, if they want to go on my stay pat theory and don't feed other mouths, UTEP might get screwed again. But if they're looking at what the Big Twelve looking at in terms of TV markets and potential and this. I mean, UTEP is probably your best bet in terms of value that you yeah. bring. So that's going to be interesting to see if the Mountain West feels like Colorado State goes and they're at 12 for football or 11 for football, and, but you can still you, – I you mean, they'd be at 12 football and 11 basketball. Yeah, so you should still have that – even though, you know, there's that waiver now with the conference football championship game, I, that's going to be a tough decision for those presidents and those – powers that be because yeah that could be the same situation like conference usa we don't need utep coming in and dipping into our our, our pot we don't need rice our utsa or whoever you know those that's another question you know because utsa would we would jump at them exactly, you know let, they let's, would let's, let's say that that you know they're looking for one team is utep even that team i i think that's and i think right now yes i think in turn because utsa Ge- has it, geography and utsa hasn't peaked or they haven't done nothing. It was just be real. They haven't done nothing yet. They had expectations. They didn't. They had a great city, San Antonio, you know, nice stadium at the Alamo Dome that's getting improved, but they haven't proved it there. And then you look at Rice, who, I mean, in terms of fan base, in terms of stadium, and yeah, you're getting the Houston TV market, but what else do they bring? Good academics? Nerds? I mean, you know, that, that, that's, that's going to be tough for the Mountain West to really make that decision because, yeah, I mean, UTEP does seem the hot commodity i guess if you want to call you a hot commodity but at the same time do they want to lose more money do the san jose state want to just boise state if they see another team pass them is boise state going to be like well fuck that we're trying to eat we're trying to make money we don't need utep in here so that's going to be the big question because it, it, yeah it's easy to it's easy to think well if mountain west team gets poached oh utep's right there for your average utep fan but at the same time looking at the mountain west side i mean they their TV money is not split evenly. San Jose State gets I don't know how much, but they get less than what Boise does. UTEP's gonna fall in there, and they're probably gonna be in that pecking order right behind San Jose State. So is it a good move for UTEP at the same time in terms of that TV money? So much shit in there that I don't get paid enough to know about. But those are two theories that I think are legitimate. The legitimate argument. I think it's definitely gonna be a, a couple of years before we even have to worry about this. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess they could dis- decide on what they're going to do, but I don't think there's going to be any moves. You know, next year it's probably going to be at least a year after before. I think, there be I, any moves. I, I think it I might think, happen soon. I really, think, I think it might happen soon. I, I mean, just, I see, I just think, because the way it's moved recently. I think, I think the media loves the conference talk. Yeah, you know, and so we love time, the conference. We love it, dude. And, and you know, so I think there's any time that that anything comes up, people are are looking to talk about it and make a bigger deal than it is because i know that a while back you know that when when it first broke that they had this list or whatever right all it was according to the presidents the chancellors of, of the big 12 all it was was just they were just talking about like what could potentially <laughs> happen if we needed to expand if we want to expand like who could we go it was not like well let's compile a list of teams that we're going or schools that we're going to go after you know, it wasn't anything like that. So at this point, I think it has progressed, but I still don't think it's at the point where they're like looking to make moves right yeah. away. Maybe it is, maybe it is, and we'll we'll find out a whole lot more about that in the coming weeks and months. But let's jump over to what people really want to talk about, what's going on, what's burning on Twitter right now, or you know, mentions and notifications lining up all over the place. For people real? talking about 
uh, well, the biggest news today, the uh, the roster was released, but also uh, we found out about, well, this was yesterday, actually, but you found out about Isaiah Osborne coming and rolling at UTEP. Wait, what's what's your take, man? That's a, that's a very interesting move to say. I mean, oh, yo. I mean, we got we could talk about we could spend a three hour podcast on UTEP basketball, yeah. coaching changes, players leaving, <laughs> Tim Floyd losing his shit in a press conference. We haven't talked about that. I mean, but this Isaiah uh, Osborne situation is interesting. I mean, it really is interesting, just because the kid where he come from, where he came from, and it seemed like this guy was a prodigy of that Windsor program, and all of a sudden he drops thirty five points on UTEP. Or no, 35 points yeah. on Charles, whoever it was, something Southern International. And Matt Williams is there watching. And Matt Williams obviously made a call back down south. And the next thing you know, three weeks later, Isaiah Osborne is, is, is enrolled at UTEP. Now, in terms of a, of, a, of a pickup, in terms of character, I've heard nothing but good things about this guy. Another, a great student, great person. So that's good. That's solid to get. That's something, you know, I'll say Sean Cougar because – <laughs> he's been doing that, but something Tim Floyd's been wanting to do, and that's great. But on basketball, it's gonna be real interesting to see how he fits in because I think he fits right into what Urban Morris did, or what, or or he could he could fit what to what Urban Morris did and what they were expected out of Josh McSwiggin. So basically, you know, you're 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 able to replace what you lost, and I think that's key. Now, can that? Do you think so? You think he's going to able to come here and do not, that right away? I think he could, but I don't think he can do that right away. You look at it; he, he's another one of those skinny guys. You need some physical guys. He's pretty quick. I don't know how that translates into Division One basketball. I don't know if it's going to take him two games, ten games, fifteen games, but I think we're going to see him struggle through an adjustment period trying to get acclimated to the Division One game. He played at the highest level in in Canada. But I think that's apples and oranges to compare when you come down here and, and play. Now, again, we can rag on UTEP's schedule all we, all we want and say, well, he shouldn't be struggling with whatever direction state that they play. But I think you're going to see definitely a, a very uh, an adjustment period with this guy because I think he's coming in here and I think boy's going to give him minutes. I really – if he's eligible, that's the next thing you got to look at. Will the guy be eligible? I, I look, did a little bit of research. There's no – written NCAA bylaws in terms of international transfers from colleges. So it seems like it should be pretty easy, easier than a Josh McSwiggin because he's, you know, he, he played a year. He was on there. That's the biggest thing though. He was on Windsor's roster for this season, played in the exhibition game this season. That could play a factor in, in the reason why he might not be eligible. That's going to be something to watch just because that he, he's already technically Play the season. Their season started like two weeks ago. Oh, it's crazy, right? Yeah. They're, they're up there in Canada. They're already starting their college basketball. So I think that's what's going to be interesting. But I think that he has that mold in terms of being a six-five lengthy guy with some speed to fit in. But I think we're going to see some type of adjustment period. But I think before it's said and done, he's going to be a nice little player here. Switching up from, from the talk about Osborne, you know, look at the roster that was released today. And finally, um, well, I think the main thing was they were waiting on him. You know, obviously they wanted to wait on him to release the roster. They wanted him to be on there. But either way, you know, what I see, you know, is just not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. I mean, you've got a solid core. Obviously, you've got Dominic Artis coming back, great point guard. You've got Omega Harris who, you know. I'm, I'm, I, got, I got a hot take on Omega here in a minute. Uh, but, you know. You've got Matt Wilms, which we don't know a whole lot about right now. Like as far as you know, his, his health and his, his his 
longevity, I guess, if you want to call it, you know, his ability to stay out there on, on, on the court and play for an entire season. I mean, we don't know how that's going to pan out, you know, um, Terry Wynn, great player. We saw what he did last year, freshman year tore it up. So I, I don't really have any questions about him. Paul Thomas, still a lot of questions there. We saw so, good, I mean, but more bad than good. Really? You know, you know what you have in maybe three guys, you know, You've got Dominic, you've got Omega, and you've got Terry. Matt Williams, you know what you get, but you don't know if he's going to be healthy, you know. And, and then after that, it's just – it's a lot of questions. You know, Trey played well in stretches. He was able to take care of the ball and spell Omega for uh, – Dominic for a while. Oh, like, shot like, at times. Yeah, a little bit. But at the same time, he almost looked lost at times yeah. on, on the court. It, against against bigger, quicker guys. Yeah, against yeah. bigger, quicker guys. It was a lot harder for him to keep up, defend, you know, in, in – other than that, I mean, what you got a bunch of freshmen, man. You got you got Kelvin Jones who's been around for a year. Adrian Moore. You've got these guys, Chris Barnes and Dion Barrett, guys that you know we talked to last year. Great pedigree, you know, looking good. Guys that won or went gonna be good players. Championships, but you just don't know what. You but but right are they gonna now, be? Man. That's the thing. Those guys are gonna be good players, but are they gonna be impact freshmen? It's hard to. I'll it's you, really hard to I'll say. I'll tell you that. what I see beyond that, though, and I've told you this, you know, privately. I see Tim Floyd swinging for the fences, man. I see him just trying to do anything he possibly can to salvage this season. You lost a lot of guys after last year, a couple that you really shouldn't have. You know, guys that turn pro, we don't even need to get into that. But just things that, you know, this team should look a little different than it does. You know, and like we like it always happens under Tim Floyd, you have these defections. And now that may be everywhere. I may be being a bit unfair with him when I say, you know, because obviously we've had – we talk, you mentioned the whole blow up and how people transfer and blah, blah, blah. But for whatever reason, you know, with UTEP, there's been a lot more than just transfers. There's yeah. been guys that just basically disappear and just trans, leave to different schools or get kicked off the team or have academic or all sorts of stuff. So anyway, I see Tim Floyd really grabbing and trying to just salvage this season in any way that he can. And that's, that's one reason why he was going after a guy like Isaiah, Isaiah Osborne. Yeah, so <laughs> and, and watch my words when I say this. When I, if UTEP wants to win more than 15 games this year, now with that, a patty cake season, yeah, with a patty cake, with a patty cake, win 15 games and make a difference in the conference tournament. Omega Harris has to take his game to another level. You know, I, I think Omega is almost due. You know, it's he that freshman year was definitely a growing period. We saw some good things, but he just he was still green. Last year, you saw him coming shoot lights out and improve his defensive abilities. This year, I really want him to see that next step and to be that complete player, that complete scorer. I think he's an X factor. When you figure in what you're getting with Dominic Artis and what you can possibly get out of a Jake Flagger and, and what you could possibly get out of, uh, out of uh, um, Trey Touchette, because those are the main guys that are probably going to see minutes early, and those are the guys that may be able to grow their game quicker than a Tim Cameron, quicker than Deion Barrett. I think Omega Harris and Dominic Artis can, and Terry Wynn, that's a nice three-piece to have. But Omega Harris, this is high expectations for him. He's got to average 18 a game. He's got to be a guy that's going to be able to distribute the ball, get to the free throw line. We haven't seen that for him. He's got to be able – I feel like Omega Harris should blow by any guy that tries to guard him. He's so quick. But we haven't seen you that. Know, I think that Omega Harris is a big, big key. If this team – like I said, I, there's no expectation on this team. Notice what I said. If this team wants to win 15 games, which I think is going to be a struggle, even with the Patsy schedule, 
Omega Harris really needs to take his game to a different mature level. We can sit here and, and talk about off the court. I'm not even going to get into that. But yeah. on the court, Omega Harris needs to be that beast next to a guy like Dominic Artis and Terry Wynn to give UTEP some three consistent players, three all-conference level players, and then you get your role players that can kind of fill in. That's what I see. But it's going to really, really be on Omega Harris, I feel. I really feel this season's going to hinge on if Omega Harris is averaging 15 points, 17 points, or nine points a game. That's how this season's going to go. It's crazy to think that because we haven't, we don't even know who's going to start. We really don't even know who's really on the team yet. But I really think this year's going to dictate how well Omega plays if UTEP could just win 15 games this year. I mean, the, 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 well, I don't disagree with you in the sense that you need Omega to step up because you're losing a lot from last year. When you talk about guys like Irvin Morris, um, Lee Morris. Lee Moore, I don't know why his name is on mine, but Lee Moore. Uh, Lee Moore, Irvin Morris, you know, you talk about those guys gone, that's a lot of your scoring right there. So you need to find somebody to replace that scoring. So I don't disagree with you that Omega Harris needs to step up and be that guy that can score 15, 18, go off for 31 games. Go needs to be that guy but however my issue that I've seen with Omega Harris is that he doesn't really fit with Dominic Artis in my opinion that's a good take and, I'm, and, I'm and, all ears and, on that one <clears throat> go for it that's because I, I feel like Omega Harris it grew up playing and, and rightfully so I mean uh, with the point guard position everything ran through him he was the leader he was the, the general he was a floor general and that's changed. Dominic Artis came in. Like, when, when Omega came in, he was kind of scheduled to be the, the yeah. point guard of the future. And and Dominic came in, and now Dominic right away, again, talking about, hey, if you come in, you got this spot that we've been talking about in football and whatnot. That's the same thing with Dominic. We knew he was that was his spot. Once he came in, he was going to be the point guard. So, and, and last year you saw some of that play out where Omega Harris would come in off the bench and whatnot, and he would be a spark because there was a few games where the guy was Fire. Not the yet. first game he came out and scored like twenty in the like first seven, and, and and so, seven but trades. the problem is, a lot of other things broke down when he was doing that, and a lot of other guys weren't producing at the same level when he was on the court for whatever reason. I can see that, and it's so and so that's tough. Like I, I now you don't have guys like Irvin Morris and and Lee Moore to have to get there on. That, now you, can, that you can take Omega exactly, out. And, yeah. Exactly. So now he's going to have that ability to do that, but I still haven't seen it work together yet. Obviously, this is a completely new team. So, But, you know, that was something that I noticed last year is that when he was on, it seemed like other guys weren't. And, and I feel like it's just because it was tough for him to fit in as a point guard, as a true point guard when you've already got your true point guard on the floor. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see that's how it works point. out, but and he's got to get over that. If that, if, if that, I, and I'm pretty I mean, sure really that's now, what he's got to move over to the two. He's I mean, got to play the two. the two. And you figure Trey Touchet is probably going to move over the two and Dion Barrett make slide in and be a backup. It, it, I, honestly, I think you're going to see Dominic Artis play more than 35 minutes a game. You're going to see, win play 35 minutes game and if Assuming Omega he can stay out of foul trouble and, yeah, yeah. And, and if Omega Harris can stay out of trouble and out of the doghouse he's gonna see more than 30 minutes a game so those three guys are like you mentioned they have to find some type of chemistry because that's pretty much your your proven offense we're not gonna discredit nobody because we haven't seen what if Trey Touchet has improved but right now your three proven guys those guys got to be solid they All have right. to be solid game in we game. know Dominic Artis we know Omega Harris we know Paul Thomas. We know Trey. We know Matt. We know Terry. There's a lot of new faces on this team, though, besides that. You've got Chris Barnes. You've got Dion Barrett. You've got Tim Cameron. You've got uh, Kelvin Jones, who has been around, but this is going to be his first year, right? He was the, he was yeah, the, he was like, the prop 48. 48. 
Um, you got Adrian Moore. You've got a guy that I didn't even know who hurt Hudson or Bonas or the walk on. Uh, you know, who of these guys? Because you're gonna need bodies. You've only got five guys that you know are gonna be in your rotation. So who are these guys that are gonna come in and and play significant minutes? I I really out of those. I mean, knowing you knowing, need at least two of them. Knowing knowing Tim Floyd's rotation, I think the guy the best candidate is Dion Barry. I think that's definitely the best candidate for that. Second, I think Adrian Moore. He seems a little bit more physically developed than any other freshman maybe in the past. Two, I got, you know, this off the top of my head. He seems physically developed enough to be able to defend. I don't know if he's going to go out there and get you 10 or 15 points, but I think he's the guy that can at least defend for you, give you something other than what you're going to do. I mean, you're going to need points. Jake too. I mean, Jake's, Jake has, has to be that guy too. But we're looking at those newcomers. I think it's those two guys. Yeah. And then if you look at the returning guys, like I mentioned earlier, well, you could see Jake and Trey Touche take a big step this year. Yeah. That's going to be needed as well. As long as, as, as much as I harped on Omega Harris, those two guys, because they're veterans, because they've been through the ringer, because they got great experience last year and showed show that times that they can hang and be effective, but now you got to do that for your whole shift, bro. If you're getting 25 minutes, if you're a Jake Flagger, you need to knock down two or three three-pointers. You got to be able to grab four or five rebounds and affect your guy because he's right now the proven lengthy guy, that defender that Tim Floyd likes. So we could see him be that main defender, that glue guy right now. Can he hang for a 25, 30-minute period guarding a very athletic guy that can really get to the rim. So those guys, that little core right there of, of Touchette, of Flaggart, of Barrett, of Moore, and throw in Kelvin Jones there because Kelvin Jones has to play. I mean, he don't have no other bigs. That's exactly what I want to That's going to be interesting. So yeah, what do you think I, about I wanna it? Move, no, and I, I, I completely agree with you, but I do want to move over to those bigs that you just brought up. You know, you've got basically Matt Wilms and Terry Wynn. Those are your only two bigs. You know, Terry Wynn basically played a five last year, and the guy's six seven. You know, so he's going to move over to the four. Assuming Matt Wilms can stay healthy, he's going to play the five. But other than that, you don't have anything. Paul never showed himself to be a, a post player, a post presence, a big man, a true big. He, he seemed like more of a wing. But you got basically Kelvin Jones and Ivan Venegas. Do you see either one of these guys breaking out? You know, it's – no. <laughs> no. I like Venegas. I really do. I honestly, personally, I thought you were gonna say yes, and then you were like, "No, nah, it's because I was thinking of a way not to throw them totally in the because I like Venegas. Yeah. I really do. Honestly, if, if if I'm running Utah basketball, that extra scholarship, I'm giving that to Venegas. I really am. You know, I really am, and that's just me. That's just my personal opinion. Nothing based off of that. No, no sources in that. Just that's me. But. I remember I told you, I'm going to tell everybody in the world what I saw out of Kelvin Jones last year. I saw Kelvin Jones working out by himself. The guy made a great post move from about seven foot, seven feet, and he airballed a hook shot. There was no defenders on him, you know. And, you know, we're not here to rip kids. We're here to tell it as it is. I think he has a lot of work to do. Yeah. Now, physically, I think – now, in terms of physically and athletically, I think he's way more ahead than who prevent was his freshman year. And that could be big because you may not need – if you get the scoring production of the guards that we got last year, you may not need Kelvin Jones to get 15 points, but you may need him to grab 12 rebounds yeah. a game. You may need him to block some shots and, and smartly use his fouls. So as far as his skill in terms of being a scorer, I don't see it. But in terms of being a presence that we haven't had, 
that could be his niche early on. Think of this guy has four years to improve. So I'm not gonna sit here and, and base him off a one hook shot yeah. I saw him make. But if you if you're asking me if he's gonna produce for you offensively, I'm gonna tell you no. But what I will tell you is what we've been missing in that toughness of a lengthy guy that could protect the rim. If he can carve out that niche this season, I think the ceiling is very, very high for this young man. And I think uh, hopefully, hopefully with this new day and age of these players where they want to score, they want to get their name in the paper, it's hard to find guys that are going to do that dirty work. And if Kelvin Jones can do that like Cedric Lane can do, like Cedric Lane did his first couple years until he started scoring more junior senior year, that could be his trajectory. And I hope it is. And I think that's what we're going to see. But I think, like I said, don't temper your expectations offensively on this kid. <laughs> All right, last question. We'll end it here. Um, I'm not trying to sell these kids short. I'm not trying to make, you know, uh, assumptions or, or make any predictions of what's going to happen with the season. But we know it's going to be very hard for this team to make to win 20 games, 25 games, win, you know, getting in the conference race, make an NCAA tournament run, stuff like that. It's far more likely that it's going to be a growing pains year. The rebuilding and, and, again. A rebuilding year. You're going to have 15 to 18 wins. You know, we'll see if they want to choose to, to go to a CBI or whatever. But, you know, aside from that, how much longer does Tim Floyd get? Uh, this is year eight. Is that right? I mean, at least seven now. Seven. You're going into year seven, I think. Is it going into year seven? seven? Year seven. I mean, and I think the deciding factor on that is going to be attendance. I think we talked about this the other day, too. I think that that's going to be the deciding factor is going to be attendance because attendance is going to drop this year. That's my hottest flaming hot take of Utah basketball. That could be the demise because I don't know if we have a young team and we won 17 games and we have everybody coming back next year is going to cut it anymore. Not just with Bob Stoll, but with donors, with fans, with season ticket holders, with your casual fans that turn a 4,000 people to 8,000. I think that's going to be the demise of the attendance. I think people, if this team struggles out the gates, people are not going to give a flying fuck about Utah basketball, and that's bad because that is our pride and joy here. And I think at that point, as an administration, even though as, as loyal as you are in terms of what the contract language says and the history between Bob Stoll and Tim Floyd, it, there's going to be a Mike Price moment. You know, it, it, it's, it's kind of hard to compare the two situations, but Mike Price, the reason why he left, I think, was attendance. Hell, I didn't go the last two years. He was the head coach here. You know, same thing with Tim Floyd. I think that's going to be his demise. And the final straw is, yeah, it's been mediocre. You've had a bunch of bullshit off the court, but – now we're averaging 5,000 fans. And now we're in the middle of the pack of Conference USA Intention. We were at the top and, and that model program. And I think that's what's going to be the difference, what you think? I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I, we've talked about it before and said that this guy basically has as long as he wants here until he decides to step down. But I do agree that, there's, that, that that weight is starting to bear down on that camel's back. You know, it, you, you, we go back, you brought it up just a little bit, but um, – the whole thing of him going off on Steve Kapowitz, you know, I watched that live on Twitter. You, you live tweeted that, whatever you call that live stream. She was hype, bro. That was crazy. I mean, honestly, and I tweeted it. I kind of liked seeing him like that. Only, I'm not saying I liked him going off on Steve. It was completely uncalled for. It wasn't Classless. right. It was, yeah, with a lack of class. But 
my thing was at least you saw some fire from a coach. And I know you see the guy yell on the sidelines, but I'm talking about outside because every time we talk to him, he's just we're learning, we're like, growing. It's we're... just like the same bullshit. It's it's monotone, like just like Belichick. out of it, like yeah. And you're just like, bro, give me something, like show me that you fucking want this, that you want this team to succeed. You know, not just yell at the players on the court, but show me that that fire is still in you. You know what I'm saying? Like coaches yeah. have a fire, a desire, a drive to win. You see that in Sean Cougar. Oh, oh yeah. You don't see that in Tim Floyd. And and when you saw that come out of him, him actually get pissed that people are talking shit about him not succeeding. And he came out to defend himself, right or wrong. You know, I just like the fact that you saw that out of him. Still, though, it doesn't buy you tickets. It, it doesn't win you games. So if things don't start getting turned around, man, I don't know where you go anymore. Like, I've been, t- I've been calling for him to be gone for three years now, you know, and I still feel the same. The guy was a great coach. The guy's the son of the program. He's done so much in his career. But you know what? It's not working. And if it doesn't work, you can't just continue to be like, oh, well, he's Tim Floyd. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. you got to sell tickets. you got to win games. This isn't about, you know, unfortunately, yes, it's college. You know, these guys are here for education and so on and so forth. But when it comes down to it, you're the basketball coach. You're paid to win games. And at some point, you just you just got to cut it, man. And like you said, maybe it will be attendance. Maybe that will be the Stradabricks Campbell. Oh, and, I mean, this is Utah basketball, man. This isn't this isn't McNeese State basketball. I mean, the expectations every year are to win more than 20 games and to and, and to be in that conference championship we got game. Those, we got those Cowboys expectations. Yeah. Cowboys just, fans' expectations, bro. So, so let's talk about that <laughs> no, now. What's up, no. Ah, boy, we, we, we can turn this into Cowboys talk the last 15 minutes, but no, nah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's that's going to be interesting. To see. I, I'm real interested to see how this team unfolds from November to the end of December. That's, that's, that's going to tell. So. Hey, 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 the Raiders ain't making the playoffs. Everybody's on the Raiders, Diak, but they're not making the playoffs. They're a year away. We're my, we're so cousin, that, there's a disclaimer. On the Raiders and the Cowboys, this was before Romo went down, you know, that who was going to win more games. And uh, I think, you know, I was like this for y'all that can't see my hands. I, I felt like the Cowboys were a little above the Raiders as far as winning games with Romo. And now I think he just uh, pulled slightly ahead now, dude. I don't know. We'll see. I like what I see from Dak, you know, preseason, but it's preseason. Yeah. So we got to see what it's like when it's at full speed. And but Ezekiel really Elliott was one of the best draft picks. Running behind that offensive man, line, bro, anybody's going to be a big You got Al- Alfred Morris back yep. there. You got Darren McFadden back there. You still got Dunbar coming back. I think he's going to be Sean Coo- a little more in the slot. Hey, hey, anyway, Jason let's... Garrett needs to holla at Sean Cougar <laughs> for some running schemes, bro, some blocking schemes, oh, man. man. So not a, fa- not a fast start to not episode one of the 2016 season. I started off slow. We'll be shaking off a little of this rust as we go along. You know, first of the 2016 season. We were rattled because of the traffic. That West Side traffic rattled me like a month. but. You all know it's 6 p.m. Mountain Time Saturday in the Sun Bowl. UTEP takes on New Mexico State in the first game of the 2016 season. We'll be there. We'll be covering it. Follow Alex on Minor Rush at SBN Minor Rush. You can always join in on the comment thread. You can tweet at us. You can get us on Facebook. Whatever. Listen you to want. this iPod. Listen, listen to this podcast on iTunes. We're on iTunes. We're on iTunes. I had to drop that. Listen, listen to us on iTunes, and you know, just keep up with us. Give us your feedback. Let us know your takes. You want to help out. Hit up Alex, SBNMinorRush at gmail.com. Um, that's about it, man. Catch me on the radio tomorrow doing some high school football. Yes, sir. Peace.